Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, you guys know this series that uh, we've been in is, is about the church, um, this idea of being built together. <clears throat> this is uh, a huge passion and, and uh, topic that I've spent so much conversation, and anybody in here that has sat around the fire pit or anything like that with me, it's, this is one of the places I like to go a lot, is to talk about what, what, what is this? What, you know, what, what, what we, we're, we're, we've inherited this this, these forms and these models and these ways of getting together, but like really, what is it? And I would even start off by, by saying, it's really not an it, it's, it's more of a her. It's more of a, this, this entity, this object of God's pursuit and affection that, that none of us individually completely make up. But as we assemble, as we're together, as he draws us together, like, like a hen gathering her chicks, we, we, we form this thing. We form this, this uh, at times in scriptures, called house of God or family of God. Bride of Christ is another image we're given. Uh, I, I love this one in the New Testament, the body of Christ. Something so amazing about that particular metaphor is that it's actually not in the Old Testament. All the rest are. So the, the, the priesthood, the family of God, the house of God, um, I'm forgetting some other ones, they're all there. The building, the temple of God, all of those are sort of repeated and renewed in the Old Testament. But Paul, Paul's really wanting to kind of pr- provoke people a little bit, kind of be a little bit provocative and say, it's, 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 even, it's even something more intertwined you know, as living stones, it could kind of be like, Alex is a stone, I'm a stone, let's stay near each other so we can make this wall, right? But a body, a body where I'm a part and you're a part and those parts on their own aren't like a stone that could still be used some other way. Like they're, they're dead. <laughs> they're, not, they're not useful. <laughs> an elbow just hanging out by itself, a thumb, an eye. And so this idea of the body is this incredible view of at least how Paul was introducing the idea of, of what the church is. But let's take a minute to, to kind of assess a little bit about kind of what we've, been, what we've been maybe brought up in unconsciously. A friend of mine once said uh, that, that if you were to somehow be able to time travel someone from the Bible times, someone, an apostle, or, or just a member, just someone who is participating in the church in that day, and you were to bring them here, they were to meet you, and they'd be like, oh my goodness, I knew this would keep going. I, I knew they would still be around. So, so you're a part of this thing. Yeah, you're a part of the church. I'm a, yeah, I'm a part of the church. In fact, I'll show you my church. Oh my gosh, I would love to see your church. And you go, okay, come on. Now it's not Sunday, so there's nobody in it, but, and they would start going, what? And then you'd, you'd get in the car and they'd be all amazed at the car, right? What is this thing? And then you'd get there and you'd be like, that's my church. And they'd be like, that's a, that's a building. 
what's this guy talking about, right? Be like, yeah, we just bought this church. And then they're like, they're really starting to freak out. Like, what what are they talking about, right? And then you take them through and show them the, the colors that you painted the wall of your the walls of your church. And and you know what they'd be thinking, right? They'd be thinking, where are the people, right? Uh, now, to make it a little bit more personal to us, I think this is what it would feel like. And they said this, this is from my friend as well. Imagine you were to teleport into the future now. Teleport, that's not the same thing. If you were to time travel into the future and uh, you met someone and um, you end up talking about your family and they, and, and they say, hey, I, I would, I, can I show you my family? Oh yeah, I'd love to see your family. And they, you get in the hover jet or whatever it is and you go down and, and they, they take you to their house and they say, that's my family. You'd be like, what? That's, that's a house. And then they take you inside and show you the furniture in their family and, and how they're planning an addition to their family. And again, see the language, you would just be like, you'd, you'd be having to just switch all the time. Like, what are they talking about? You, you go, stop. <laughs> this isn't your family. <laughs> this is your house. <laughs> this is a building. Your family is like your wife and your children. That's your family. Like, if you got rid of this house, you'd still have your family, right? So you guys, you guys see where I'm going with this. Uh, I, I think this is, that's just a, a funny way to sort of bring a little bit of light to something that we sort of unconsciously, we were swimming in that water growing up. It's not like any passionate preacher ever got up there and said, I want to tell you all today that the church is a building, right? No, it, it, this is the stuff, it's like, it happens sort of subconsciously. It happens, it's, it's in our foundation, it's in the water, it's in the air that we're breathing. And until we really bring attention to it, we don't realize sort of what that's been producing. So, you know, if, if you had that view subconsciously, if that was in your foundation that the church was a building, and in that building there was, you know, a set of, of services for you, and programs for you, and and the temperature was just right, and the, and the atmosphere and the decorations were just right, that would produce, I would argue, probably a consumeristic mentality about church. Because it's not so much you saying, you know, oh, I, I just, I'm a consumer and it, it needs to serve me. No, that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking the church is a building. And it produces what ends up being a consumeristic, consumeristic fruit grows on the tree that thinks the church is a building. Now, this is not like rocket science, new novel, like, okay, we all, yeah, we, we, this is core to us, and I would say it's core to a lot of, most believers that are alive today. But I, th- I think there's, there's other things that have been in the water, in the air, that, that we have not necessarily critically assessed, that are producing uh, other things that we want to talk about. But really, it has to do with uh, if you think the church is a building, then your expectations are going to be a certain thing. Your belief about what the goal is, is going to be affected. Your expectations about what is produced and how you move forward, how, what we are to be doing. All that sort of comes in that view. So what other areas uh, could, could we talk about where expectations can, can affect us? I would say the proximity between your expectations and your experiences affects your ability to stick with something for the long haul. So let's just take marriage, for example. Thankfully, I had a friend tell me before I got married, marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. 
Now what they're saying in that is, if you have this expectation that on the other side of saying I do, your problems go away, or it's just all like this from there, or never lonely again, or oh, my anxiety is going to go away, or all these different things, you'll find out after the fact that really you've just brought in a bunch of other stuff from the other person into this crazy mix, and there's, just, there's, there's a lot of that going on. And so if you were really set on the expectation that this was going to be easy, would, would you feel that in the first few months of marriage and start going, ah, I don't know. And I, tell me if you've ever thought this, whether it's about marriage or something else, this phrase pops into my mind when my expectations were misaligned. This is not what I signed up for. That's this thought that goes through my mind when I find myself in a situation, I'm like, this is not what I thought I was going into. So your ability to stick it out, to endure, to do something for the long haul has a lot to do with what you expect that thing to be like. What you think the goal of it is, what you think the experience of pursuing that goal is, and how you think you get there. Here's another, another interesting, this is a real story. This isn't about, uh, this isn't a metaphor, this is a real story. There was a famous uh, worship leader and songwriter who left the faith completely deconstructed, left the faith. And uh, an apologist was interviewing this worship leader without any, you know, persuasion, just saying, hey, just tell me your story. Tell me why. This, this is on, on YouTube. You can see this. And what they said was, well, about three years before me, my brother, my older brother, did the same thing. They, they questioned everything and left the faith. And and see, what, as we were raised in, in this really fundamental church, we were told that if we were to ever leave the faith, we just would have no hope. It would feel meaningless all the time. Our relationships, we'd never have another quality relationship in our life. We would just basically wither and die. And he told me, he, he did. He questioned everything. He, he did leave the faith, and he found that to not be true. He had meaningful relationships. He felt a sense of of purpose and, and belonging in the world and a personal mission. And he didn't wither and die. He, he's, he's doing really well. And so that's kind of where it all fell apart for me. Okay, so that sounds, that sounds reasonable. But if you look a layer deeper, somewhere along the way, this person unconsciously was told, if you stick this thing out, then then you're not going to have these problems. You're going to have meaning. You're going to have belonging, you have a relationship. So what happens every time you have some anxiety or every time you feel a little bit isolated or alone, it brings the entirety of the foundation and the fundamentals and the beliefs of your faith into question because that was what was being expected. It may have even been communicated that, hey, we as Christians, we have a corner on meaning. No one else has it. No one else has relationships. No one else has anything that's any good. So if you experience something that seems kind of good or meaningful, or you develop a relationship that is not in the context of Christianity, and it seems to be have some life on it, again, it brings everything that you had associated with your faith into a level of suspicion or question, like, is what they told me true? So... Like this, the, the way we see the church, what we think, I'm going to zoom in a little bit instead of just Christianity as a whole, we're going to talk the church, what we think this is all about, what we think 
we should be experiencing as we're doing this. And how we think we get there has everything to do with your ability to endure, your ability to keep shining, be salt, be light, to, uh, like it says about Christ, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. To endure trials, yes, those can be external trials. Those can be internal trials. Some of those very emotions that maybe you thought you were going to get away from now that you accepted Christ, they might crop up again. There's this thing called the old man, the old creation. The inner man is being renewed, but the outer man is wasting away, and that stuff still resides there. Uh, just this last week, I, I got to go over to Nashville for a moment and hear um, a few different leaders speak at a, at a thing that was about uh, the Send, uh, which is a, a, a Youth with a Mission gathering. And Francis Chan was a speaker. And uh, something remarkable happened. It kind of dropped my jaw. Uh, he publicly repented of leaving his church, which was kind of amazing. I mean, that, that's, that shook the world. Now he says, now I'm not saying that God didn't use this and would this have happened, would that have happened, would that have happened. I'm not saying any of that. He's, he's faithful, he's sovereign. But he's saying, but, but at the end of the day, I looked at other parts of the body and said, I have no need of you. It would be better if I didn't have you. Now he, he credited this to his belief that it would be more efficient productive if he were to split. So these, this is too slow. It's just these people, all they're arguing over the, the set of songs and if they're traditional or contemporary. It's just, it's, we, are, we aren't getting it done. We aren't getting the mission done. It sounds reasonable. It sounds like a thought I have had. But yet he repented of this. He repented of this view. So at some point, subconsciously or maybe consciously, what was conveyed, I would say to us, is underneath that there's a point, there's a goal that is sort of inferred, which is the goal is to get this thing done. We should be multiplying disciples. We should be lean and efficient. We, shouldn't, we should be able to move quickly. We should be able to move in harmony. There shouldn't be as many people disagreeing with me. We should be moving forward. So that was sort of under, under the surface in the water there, which produces this feeling of, I don't think I need these people. He gave an incredible talk on the body, not surprisingly, and he, he spoke those scriptures. That he says, the hand cannot say to the eye that I have no need of you. And he says, that's what I did. Now again, God is faithful and sovereign. And we love, I love the fruit that's come out of his global ministry. But that didn't change him from seeing that he had a wrong view of things. So it was the revelation of the body that led Francis to that public repentance. So, so if we don't know, again, what this is, what the point is, what we should be experiencing, what should, what should we expect to see, how do we get there, then we're going to end up producing these other, these world-like behaviors and patterns that, that sort of, it makes you, your heart deceives you. Those impulses, they feel similar to like if God was asking you to do something. Like, I don't know, I just can't, I can't shake this feeling. 
I just, I'm just sure, I just, I can't, I can't, I gotta go. I gotta go. Maybe it's God. It's probably, well, that, that subterranean level of kind of how those foundational things are affecting you, they can compel you in a subconscious way that is easy to mistake as the same way that it feels when something is dropped into your spirit and is compelling you in that subconscious way. And if you're thinking, oh crap, how do I tell the difference between those two things? I would tell you, you can't by yourself. You're not going to be able to. It feels the same. I'm telling you it feels the same. There are times, and I'm sure some of you have experienced the same thing. There are times when I'm like, oh yeah, that's that. That's that feeling I get when it's the Holy Spirit. And afterwards I'm like, that was me. <laughs> that was what I ate for dinner last night. Like that, that was because I was hungry. <laughs> you know? uh, so you have to be in community, connected part of the body, reading the word, submitting yourselves to one another to even be able to suss out the difference between those two things. Okay, so, so let's get into it. What is the goal? What should we be expecting and how do we get there for the church? Well, let's look at some potential existing structures before we look at the word and, and sort of let the word renovate our structures. So let's just, I'll throw up a couple ideas of, of some what is the goals that are in the water. I'd say one of the goals is to get to heaven. That's what this is about. I would call that escapism. In other words, it sort of dislocates all of the stuff that God has intention to do here, where it's really where it, where it happens, where he's going to reveal who he is, where he's going to build his church, where he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to come. Heaven comes here. We know that, right? No going to heaven. The kingdom of heaven comes here. The body is like this headless formed thing, and the head, Christ Jesus, comes down, lands on the body, and establishes his reign, right? That's a different story than I just got to get, I, I'm, I'm here to get to heaven. I think I got to have some level of membership, some level of participation in order to kind of be enough a part of this thing to get to heaven. Escapism. Here's another one. This one's really different. For, for, you, for you more motivated kingdom builder types, talking to myself here, what is the goal? Pfft, become a one man or one woman kingdom builder, wrecking ball to the kingdom of darkness. So I am working on myself, you know, I'm learning the word, I'm getting these activations and, and I'm getting prayed for all with the vision of me going out there and being, being the guy or being the girl, right? So, so if I really stick this thing out, you know, the goal is for me to reach my potential. I would call that narcissism. Here's another one. This one's pretty common. Pretty sure the goal is to get all the sin out of my life and stop screwing up. I just, oh, I just hate messing up. I hate that I'm not just perfect. Perfectionism, right? How about some existing structures of what do I expect? So those are the goals. These are some things that I might expect with those goals in mind. Those are the goals. These are some things I might come to expect. Now, again, these may be subconscious. I would expect to grow in more self-confidence. Boldness. Those are the same things, right? I would expect more notches on my belt. You know, I, I, I want epic stories to tell, right? I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm saying they may not be the whole picture. 
Or let's kind of look at it conversely. I might expect less anxiety, less shame. Now, how do we get there? Some existing structures of how we get there. Well, I got to get to know my strengths. I got to get to know my calling. Gosh, what is my calling? Well, what gives me life and what feels like a drain and what's my, yeah, I'm going to say it, Enneagram. (laughs) I need boundaries to to protect myself from some of those drainers in my life and because I'm just not, I'm not going to get there, you know, if I don't kind of have this thing set up just so. And I got to forgive myself for, for the, I'm really holding myself over the flame too much. I got to hone my craft I got to overcome my shyness. I need to talk more or I need to listen more or any other number of behavior mindsets, behavior shifts and mindset shifts. So why, why do I go to church? I go to church because that's where I get equipped to go out into the world. Now you might be thinking, well, that one's not as obvious to detect as like a little bit off. Like, yeah, isn't that what we do? Is it like, the world is hard out there. It's dark. It's heavy. It's tiring. And so come here once a week. And we'll kind of get you back to, you know, dust that stuff off of you and, and tell you to do it again. Go out there and do it again. Go to where you live, work, play, by yourself. This is where we're together. That's where you're by yourself. And, and try to impact the world again. So that's, that's what church is about. Church is where I go because it's where I get equipped to either on that sort of uh, overcome the bad things, overcome my shyness, anxiety, depression, or for the more aggressive, become this finely pointed spear in God's hand. What's the problem with all that? Did you hear how many times I talked about me? What? It's all about me. I'm telling you, we are swimming in individualistic waters. It's, it's, it's the foundation of our culture, our society. Pretty much everything post-French Enlightenment and on has been radically centered around the self. The Bible predicts this. It says they will become lovers of self, right? Darkened in their understanding. So I just want to say a couple thoughts that you might be thinking. One more sort of litmus test to identify if any of this is present. And I would say for all of us, it is. It is for me. So here's a couple first person thoughts. Maybe you thought this. I'm not gifted to reach the world like some are. I'm not as valuable a member of the church as that person is. Or, if I'm honest... I don't know that I have what it takes to make disciples. Now again, let's kind of convert it. Let's flip it. I don't know if I need these people. At least that one and that one and that one. Or if I stay the course, I'm going to end up really productive for God in the kingdom. Anybody thought these thoughts or any variation of these thoughts? Okay. Enough of what is standing structurally in place. Let's, let's let the word renovate us. Ephesians 4. Let's just read this through. <clears throat> and he gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I would tell you that all the answers are in there. What is this? What is the point? What does it feel like? How do we get there? So let's just tease this out a little bit. First of all, let's just start at the beginning. That word equip. One of the nerdiest phrases I know is this phrase. The word equip in the New Testament is a hapax legomenon. Isn't that a crazy? That just sounds like science fiction. That means the only time in the text that this word shows up. So it makes it particularly challenging for our Bible scholars and our linguists and our interpreters and our translators to say, what do we do with that? It's really hard to sort of network it across the constellation of other uses in the scriptures and go, okay, we see how they're using this word. So this word equipped there is the only time that that word shows up. Now there is a verb form of it, but this is a noun form of the word. Now in other ancient literature, that's sort of where you go next. Let's see if this word shows up in other ancient literature to see if there's anything we can glean from how it may have been used contemporarily in the Koine Greek. And this word is a medical word oftentimes, to set a bone, literally to repair a joint. Whoa. Okay, so already to equip the saints for the work of ministry, if I was seeing that as the place that I come in order to get fitted out and bad to the bone so I can get out there and wreck the kingdom of darkness, I'm, I'm maybe not at all seeing even how that first word is used in this context. Literally, other uses are to repair to a previous state, to mend, to set rightly, to fit together. So equipping, not just like your, the equipment you need to play soccer, but we're literally talking about an assembling of different parts, joints, parts, components. <clears throat> Why? For the work of ministry. Okay, what's ministry? That, that, I'm back out there, right? I'm back out there doing the thing in, out there in the world, right? Well, it's for the building up of the body <laughs> that you are equipped for the work of ministry to the building up of the body, for the building up of the body. Now, there's lots of arguments about the commas that were added and, and is one subordinate to the other. Are we equipped for the work of ministry in such a way that it brings about the building up of the body or are those parallel statements? We're equipped for works of ministry and we build up the body. I'm kind of a commaless guy when it comes to this part. But if you look at the word equip, it's already talking about, because there's no punctuation in the Greek. If you look at that, that word equip, it's already talking about this idea of being fitted together. And so the building up of the body of, the, of Christ 
is, is listed here as those fivefold, if you will, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, the ones who feel a special calling to serve and lower themselves and equip the church, the, the hope is that, that those saints would then edify one another. And then look at these things that flow out of this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Has that happened yet? I don't think that's happened yet. I think this is an act of scripture. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, insert individualism. I am trying to be the fullness of the measure of Christ. And he's conforming me to his image so I can be the body of Christ. Major problem. No, you can't. He has made us the body of Christ. Now, yes, in a way, you are a type of Christ that you have laid down your life. He, has, he now lives in you. But again, every time we see that word you in Scripture, more often than not, it's a plural you. He is in us. <clears throat> so, where does this all lead? So that it builds itself up in love. Makes the body gross that it builds itself up in love. The whole concept here is this idea of being built up in love. It's the point. That's the point. If your theology starts to look more and more like the high priestly prayer in John 17, it's a good sign. So this is the one text that we have that is a complete view into a prayer that Jesus said to his father. Now he did teach us to pray this Lord's Prayer. But right here, we have recorded a fairly lengthy prayer. And we all know that praying the heart and mind of the Father as revealed by the Holy Spirit is bringing about that work in the earth. And so I don't think Jesus prayed a selfish prayer or an off prayer, and I'm 100% sure it's going to be fulfilled. And so when you look at John 17, this verse 23, oh wait, I skipped something. We'll come back to that. Let's just jump to 23. Oh yeah, no, it's right there. I in them and you in me. Yeah. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So so if you're thinking that the point is that we would be assembled and formed together as this unified people of God. And that that is how Jesus' plan actually was to let the world know that the Father sent the Son. This is the theology coming out of John 17. You can see how opposite it is of that to think that it's your job to spend so much time equipping, being equipped, that, that you could go out by yourself and demonstrate that the Father sent the Son. Am I advocating against personal evangelism? No, I'm not. Quick story. The head of the church of Satan in South Africa is now a believer in Jesus. Here's what happened. He was interviewed by a journalist. Did not know the journalist was a Christian. Journalists did not introduce themselves as a Christian. Just interviewed. Why do you believe what you believe? Just think of a good interviewer. Off script afterwards, off the recording... She hugged him. Like a Lindsay Bell hug. Not many of you know Lindsay Bell hugs, but they last. 
They're lasting hugs. She held, she held him more like, and it messed him up. He said he felt something that he had never felt before, this unconditional love. Well, some days later, he has a Church of Satan meeting, and they're talking about, hey, it's growing. We got we to gotta make some strategic advances. And so he literally goes to do a ritual to get more power. He says he opens himself up to get more power and find out what to do next, and Jesus shows up. And he recognizes it as Jesus, and he says, whatever, prove it. And Jesus fills him with that same feeling. Only twice he's felt this feeling of unconditional love. And it was recent, in recent history that that woman had done that. And he gave his life to the Lord. You can look this up. Internet never lies. <laughs> it's a true story. So here's what I would argue. This isn't in the story, but I'm confident of this. She is not simply individually a habitation of the unconditional love of the Father. She is part of something where that is what is happening, where it's overflowing, where it's building up. And then she goes out and she's just herself. And she is carrying something from that habitation. She is a node. She is a touch point of the kingdom of God. It's not her responsibility to individually make manifest the kingdom of God because that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. The kingdom of God looks like this. One new man pulled together, right? The temple of the Lord, a dwelling place. All of us in unity. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Even God himself is not a single person. The nature of God looks like this. The kingdom looks like this. And so she brought just a little bit of that. Maybe a lot of bit of that. I, 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 maybe I should try to reach out and find out what is her fellowship like. I would put money that it is a place where they're being built up in love. So if the goal is to be built up in love, like ah, that, that, that kind of seems like it's not central enough. Like, isn't that just a side effect or like a perk of being part of Christian community that I get that special feeling? <clears throat> How could that be so central? Well, built up in love is not a side effect of Christian community. It is the nature of God. Literally, it's, it's what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are doing for all of eternity. Building up in love. There's a little bit of Trinitarian theology I love. It's this idea that not even the mission, as we would say, of creation or the mission of redemption or, or the mission of restoration, the consummation of the kingdom. Those missions aren't like the Godhead toggling away from intimacy with one another to come over here and get something done. We can't say that. It's the nature of God. He doesn't stop being his nature. So we have to say that those missions are overflow out of the abundance of the built upness in love that's happening within the Trinity. Even the impetus, the, the motivation to create humanity, not because of a deficiency in God, not because he needed another worshiper, but because this is so good. This overflows into mission. So again, am I advocating against personal evangelism? Absolutely not. I'm saying that it might finally make sense for you as you realize you are carrying something that is coming out of an earthly manifestation of the kingdom of heaven called the church. 
That's what this is. This is an earthly representation of an eternal kingdom. This is how it is showing up right now. So let's revisit that statement. The church isn't where we go to get equipped to go out into the world. The church is how we have been sent out into the world. The church is how Jesus sent us into the world. The Great Commission is the responsibility of the church. Am I dislocating that off of the individual responsibility? Absolutely not. Hear me. I'm saying that that individual responsibility starts feeling like a fire and not like a duty when you are experiencing the nature of God in a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. You just go, ah, it's so good. I got to tell somebody. Now, what are you telling them about? Tell me, maybe you've been saved this way. My parents were saved this way. They weren't saved by a presentation of the facts. They were saved by brushing up against one of these communities and going, what is that? That's other. That's supernatural. And then later on, the facts, right? Okay, got it. So it's actually possible that it's this manifestation of the kingdom that is a testament to the veracity of the gospel. One time I was driving the interstate, this sentence just popped into my head suddenly. Evangelism works a lot better if the kingdom has just been put on display. Now, you know where my mind went initially. Power. And it does work. Trust me. I'm sure we've been in those moments. Like, you, you get a word of knowledge dropped on you about somebody while you're evangelizing, it hits, right? Or someone literally has a broken bone healed right there when you prayed for them. They're a little bit open to receive the truth. We need the power of God in evangelism. But it's grown for me, that, that, that phrase that popped into my head. Evangelism works a lot better when the kingdom of heaven has just been put on display. The church is a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. What, what might even be more miraculous today is a group of people who have given themselves to one another and have stopped pursuing their own ends and their own actualization, and their own potential, and their own destiny, and their own even maybe prophetic calling to say, you know what? I just love you guys, and I want to give myself away because I'm pretty sure that's what Jesus did. Could that be a more powerful manifestation in this day and age than anything else we've even thought of? There's so much disagreement out there. There's so much disunity. That would rock the world. So a church that is built up in love is a church that's manifesting the kingdom of heaven. You have a role to play in this. So you heard me earlier saying like, you're calling. No, 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 no. no you, you really do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not tossing that. We are just this hive no, you are an individual. You will stand alone <laughs> to account before God for the works that you did while in the flesh. And he will seek to make recompense to reward you for those works. This is real. You have gifts. You have gifts. You have a calling, calling, gifts. They're irrevocable. They're without repentance. You might not, I'll say you will not, fully actualize that calling in this life because it's without repentance. It's irrevocable. It's probably your station in the new heavens and the new earth. And you won't even have a glimpse of 
what it is to really be fitted out to do the thing until the old man is gone and the new heavens and the earth are here. And you go, oh, this is what he made me for. So maybe this life isn't as much about tapping that to its fullest extent. I just, I'm sorry. I got to make decisions this way and that way because my calling, I can't, I can't slow down. I got to be productive. Just picture yourself as like the best you're going to do in this life is like bumping along, half blind, feeling around when it comes to you actually re- being a, releasing and demonstrating the glory God's put on you. That's probably new heavens and new earth type stuff. So you do have a role. But here's what's amazing. The scriptures that we look to, to really hammer us on our role and our part, our gifting, there's something incredible if you look again. 1 Corinthians 12, a place we often go. There's a variety of gifts, a variety of ministries, a variety of sects, but one spirit. And to some he gave working of miracles, some words of knowledge, some words of wisdom, right? So what do we do with that scripture? We go, ooh, which one am I? But what's interesting, you read that again, and it's like he's been really sloppy with that taxonomy. To some and to some. And then he does another list somewhere else, and it's a different list. Get it straight, Paul. Give me the list. There's only 16 personality types in Myers-Briggs. You can't have all these lists. Then you reread 1 Corinthians 12, and you realize, oh, he's being very definite and precise in some of his language. And he's being very loose and generous in some of his language. The definite, precise language is about the one spirit and the one Lord. And then he mentions a couple gifts. And then that's the body passage right after that. Literally, the hand and the eye and all that. And then you know what comes after 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter. The love chapter. Love is patient, right? That, so, oh, oh, he wasn't trying to give us a list to identify ourselves on. That's so us, Right? I would say the same things about Ephesians 4. Or, you know, I'm kind of apostolic, you know, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherd, teacher, right? It says all of this is really just this logical progression so that the body is built up in love. So even the places that we go to locate ourselves are actually not about ourselves. It's about the body. But you do have a role. Here's, here's how those harmonize. Your role in the edifying of the body is based in your gifting. But what do you do with a gift? You love somebody with it. So the way that you give yourself away, the way that you feel the Holy Spirit compelling you to give yourself to the people of God, I would say has a lot to do with how you're gifted. The scripture does actually say this. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So your calling, instead of something that's like building this angst, especially for the younger ones of us in the room, like, oh, I'm going to miss it if I don't figure out what it is. How am I going to make decisions to make sure I actualize or reach my potential, right? Just take that pressure off. Your calling is actually part of a corporate calling to find your place, which is a very unique place, an only you place. See, harmonized in Trinitarian theology is full individuality and full intimacy and unity. You literally have entire hemispheres of of thought and religion that isolate each of these by themselves. Eastern, uh, Eastern religion, pantheism, 
We are all one. We are, the individual idea is an illusion. You are not an individual. We are all really part of the same spirit. Literally Western, secular humanism, everything post in French Enlightenment. Nope. You are an individual. We have to figure out how to make this work through logic and science and that sort of thing. And it's all about you, which is this very self-centered thing. In the Godhead, you have both. You have complete oneness. We do not serve three gods. We serve one God. But he has three distinct persons with their own only them role. But their only them role is to give themselves to one another. So I would encourage you to, re, to, to ask the Lord, if you're, if, you're, if you're pursuing calling, what is your calling? What is your gifting? Maybe ask someone, what has it looked like for them to give themselves away? Where is God encouraging you to give yourself away? It's going to look a lot like your gifts. It's going to look a lot like your calling. You look back and say, the way Jesus' calling on earth was to pour himself out, was to lower himself and give himself up as a ransom. Let's revisit those thoughts and then we'll close. I'm not gifted to reach the world like some are. I'm not as valuable a member of the church as that person is. How about this? I have been given gifts that belong to the church and that enable her to be a functioning body that's built up in love. And we need every single one. Next one. I don't know that I have what it takes to make disciples. The Great Commission was given to the church and I will find my participation in this as I assemble together with other believers. Did you know Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, do not forsake meeting together as some have made a habit to do. That word is a lot more than a meeting. In fact, they didn't even have this one meeting that, that they were trying to make sure they got their numbers up. Literally, it was do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And some translations say unto him. Because the only other time that word is used not a hapax legomenon, unfortunately. Uh, no, fortunately. The only time that word is used, it's a gathering unto him. So do not forsake assembling yourselves together unto him. Next one. I'm not sure I need these people. Without these people, I'm not doing Christianity. Next one. If I stay the course, I will end up really effective and productive for God's kingdom. How about if I stay the course, we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, built up in love so that the world knows the Father sent the Son. This is the nature of God. And so it's the nature of the church because the church is the manifestation of the nature of God and the nature of God defines the kingdom of God. If we don't have that environment... I love the parable where he says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. We might just think apocalyptically about that. Oh yeah, so that the new heavens and new earth are filled with believers. All the other parables say, he left the house and gave us the keys. So that house that he's wanting to be filled has an earthly purchase, has an earthly presence. And so we're going out to the highways and the hedges to compel them into the master's house. Do we have one? If having a building, does having a building mean you have a master's house? Or do you need a building to have a master's house? If you don't have a master's house, do you have the context to bring them in in a way that they would be make, made disciples? 
Ultimately, we don't have to get this done by being clever or try harding because it's the gospel. This is part of salvation. I've heard even more recently this idea of like, hey, I'm going to tell you more. Salvation is just the beginning. Salvation is the whole thing. He is making all things new in Revelation. Salvation is the big tent. I promised, uh, I promised Diane that I would, I would do this when we were talking last week. So I'm just going to read something and then pray. So we, we narrowed in. We looked at the church, what it is, what the goal is, what you should be experiencing. You should be experiencing being built up in love. That's the point. That's the nature of God. But now I just want to end by just blowing it up with, by reading this bit of tastiness from a book called The Portable Seminary called the comprehensiveness of salvation. And just think of the church as a carrier of this good news, of this message. So those little things, yeah, it's my ticket to heaven or it's this or that, this is what it is. The comprehensiveness of salvation may be shown in the following ways. By what we are saved from, this includes sin and death, guilt and estrangement, ignorance of truth, bondage to habit and vice, fear of demons, of death, of life, of God, of hell, despair of self, alienation from others, pressures of the world, and a meaningless knife. Paul's own testimony is almost wholly positive. Salvation brought him peace with God, access to God's favor and presence, hope of regaining the glory intended for men, endurance and suffering, steadfast character, and optimistic mind, inner motivations of divine love and power of the Spirit, ongoing experience of the risen Christ within his soul, and sustaining joy in God. Salvation extends also to society, aiming at realizing God's kingdom, to nature, ending its bondage to futility, and to the universe, attaining final reconciliation of a fragmented cosmos. Also, not done, by noting that salvation is past. That was just what we're saved from. Salvation is past, present, and future. That is, salvation includes that which is given freely and finally by God, grace, or justification, Friendship or reconciliation, atonement, sonship, and new birth, that which is continually imparted, sanctification, growing emancipation from all evil, growing enrichment in all good, the enjoyment of eternal life, experience of the Spirit's power, liberty, joy, advancing maturity and conformity to Christ, and that which is still to be attained, redemption of the body, perfect Christ-likeness, and final glory. And we can distinguish it by these various aspects. Acceptance with God, forgiveness, reconciliation, sonship, strong assurance in our emotions, peace, courage, hopefulness, and joy. Practically through prayer, guidance, discipline, dedication, service. Ethically through a new moral dynamic for new moral aims, freedom and victory. Personally, new thoughts, convictions, new horizons, motives, satisfaction, self-fulfillment, and social. A new sense of community with Christians, of compassion toward all. And the final phrase, And an overriding impulse to love as Jesus has loved. I love that they ended it on that. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you have loved us. We submit ourselves to you for you to knit us together. That we would be a representation of how your kingdom is in heaven here on earth. Let it come. Let us be a signpost to a dying world, that the kingdom is coming, that it's manifest here now, that they're invited, and that you are coming soon to consummate it and make all things new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.